I guess I need one for myself. So uh, let me get started with prayer, and then we'll, we'll get into the topic. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning because you are the author of all truth. You are the one true and living God. You are the one who has sent your Son, the one and only, your exact representation, who has made a way for us to come to Christ. We pray that as we go through this uh, topic this morning, that you would help us to celebrate our truth in Christ, Christ alone, by grace alone, by faith alone. And we pray that you would help us, Lord, to give us hearts that might reach out to people who are lost and who are following a false god. We pray that these things in your name. Amen. So uh, uh, let me start by saying why is I have why this is important to me um, and what uh, it has meant. When um, I became a Christian and, and uh, went off to college and had, had uh, been there just recently, um, Mormon missionaries were on campus, of course, and, and uh, were rooting around, if I could use the right word, um, looking for people that they could share their faith with. And in the process, many I was involved with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship and was part of the leadership. And one of the things is people came to me and said, hey, do you know so-and-so is talking to so-and-so and blah, blah, blah. And, and so, you know, I took it upon myself to, um, to look these young men up and spent time sharing the gospel with them. It was my first experience ever. I was a, a baby Christian. I knew maybe one thing, that I was saved by grace. <laughs> and um, I'm thankful for that. And in the midst of the um, of sharing, uh, of course, I made no, other than God using his own word, I made no visible dent in the conversations. Uh, then fast forward about a year or two, Sally uh, and it, it becomes a Christian, and her brother also joins the Mormon church and is in it today. Um, and has been in it, um, and continually witnesses to us about his works and, and his works of righteousness and things. And, and so over the years, we've had multiple discussions, some of which um, I, I would basically say, all that I could see I ha has failed. <laughs> so I am absolutely the wrong person to be doing this presentation, uh, because I, I can say that only by the grace of God are we, any of us are saved, and only by his enlightening power in our life will we ever grip truth. And so in the midst of it, um, it was my next exposure to Mormonism to say, then we moved to Denver, and they built a new temple in Denver, and so there was lots of Mormons there, and so we then visited with them, and, and although none had come to our door, um, there was plenty of opportunity to interact with them. And so we took advantage of trying to learn something about it so we could witness to her brother Jim. Then from there, um, fast forward uh, uh, some more time, and um, you know you, you run into other, and you work. I've worked with Mormons that have been uh, zealous for their faith, and um, of which you become hardened after a while. 
and uh, I basically can confess to you my own sin of, of saying, you know, I re- whatever I've tried doesn't work. I basically, I'm going to give up. Thank God God never gives up on anybody. And hence, as this goes around, uh, we get to today, and Ross says, hey, why don't you teach on this? You've had some exposure to it. <laughs> well, um, yeah, so I can say for some 50 years, I've had some exposure to it. And in the midst of it, um, I've learned one thing. It is a counterfeit gospel. And uh, there should be no mistake about that. And in the midst of it, I, I've gathered lots of different books of which um, I just would tell you there's, there's tons of these things out there that are dynamite. This one by Gerald and Sandra Ta- Tanner, she was a great-great-granddaughter of Brigham Young. Um, uh, and Tanner was a great-great-grandson of Joseph Smith, and they both came out of Mormonism, and then they have been zealous witnesses and have written tons about the changing world and the falseness of it. And I've read other books, and and the one that Ross gave us was The Kingdom of the Cults. Um, This one here, I'll only speak briefly, The Maze of Mormonism, by Dr. Walter Martin, same one, The Kingdom of the Cults. Very good book. But of all the books that have spoke the most, this one, Unveiling Grace, was the best. And if you have a friend that's in Mormonism, they won't read this book, but you should. Because it is a book of a woman, and I'm going to use a video if I can hurry up and get through this for 15 minutes, just to speak to you about what God has done to unveil grace in the life of her family. Because her sons, who were on the mission field, one of her sons um, was converted to faith, saving faith, while on his mission in Florida through a faithful Baptist minister, which led to her being saved. She was a, she was a uh, professor, a tenured professor at BYU, uh, teaching young Mormon men to go on the field. And her husband was a high priest in the Mormon church. And they were way up and in, heavily involved. And in the midst of it, you, you hear that, um, if you would, the destruction of a, a false faith and, and she speaks briefly of it, and I, I can only tease you with the video this morning because we won't have enough. But of all the books, that is the book, is the Bible. We should be so thankful for the truth of God. And I would I'd say to you, um, there's much to be said, and there's plenty of stuff. I even picked up things. Joseph Smith tells his own story. So a variety of things that I've covered and one final thing I would say, if you don't own this book, this is, this is our book. This is the Westminster Confession of Faith. Um, in my opinion, every one of us as believers should have a copy of this in your house. And, uh, or you should have, have it and be familiar with it because it also helps refute the lies. Um, and, and, you'll, and you'll see it this morning. So with that, let me move forward. Uh, I've given you a handout for one reason. Terminology, I've learned, is a huge, huge issue. 
Uh, if ever you've been in a time when you use the same word and you say, oh, yeah, yeah, we, we talk about the same thing, right? You jump to the conclusion you're making a giant mistake if you're talking with Mormons because their words do not mean what you think they mean. And hence, the, the lesson we had a couple of weeks ago when Ross showed the video and the guy was talking about, well, really what you want to do is leave a rock in their shoe this Lynn Wilder made this comment, and it's so true. I've learned it now over my years. The only method that really works in chatting with Mormons, talking with Mormons, is to ask questions. And I will tell you that my own heart has gotten hard, and it's my own lack of love for people, and I've been convicted of it. And the fact that we are called to be witnesses, and we are called to know something about our own faith, and to be able to ask questions of those that we are witnessing to. And so um, I hope what this does is if, and the other thing I will tell you, I've learned that probably even in our audience, there's people here that have been touched by Mormonism in some fashion. I know Mike has shared with me, I think I can share this openly, that he had an experience with his mother and father involved with Mormonism. Um, and I know that I've interviewed others from this church here that have had involvement in it and, and have come out and have embraced the gospel. So Mormonism has some effect on us. Um, and anyway, with that said, let me get into the thing. So of, of the other thing I wanted to draw, I don't even know if you can see this because when I sit out there, I can't see diddly. Um, the, um, the unveiling... Mormonism.com and AdamsRoadMinistry.com, all associated with Unveiling Grace. Absolutely phenomenal websites. I'm telling you, of all the ones I've been to, there's lots of them that'll come up to you and tell you all kinds of other things. These are these are these is the family that came out and they've given you basically why, and they are so zealous for the gospel, and they love the Lord, and they recognize the grace of God so that they would clearly say, although I don't think they're in the PCA, they are clearly reformed because it is by faith alone, by grace alone, by Christ alone. And, um, and, and it's a phenomenal ministry, so I highly commend it to you. So let's get into the, to the material. Just briefly, because I don't want to spend a lot of time on the, the church, but you should get some basics out of it. So it's founded by Joseph Smith. He was born in uh, Vermont in, in the year of 1805. Interesting, there's a lot of things that happened, you know, in the 1800s where false religions seemed to have some kind of connection in the States. He, was, uh, he died in 1844. He, interestingly enough, he was raised through his parents, and I shouldn't say raised, but involved with the Methodist and the Presbyterian Church at that time. And one of the things that he continually contends was is that there was all these people preaching the gospel, this and that, I don't know which one to believe. Lord, who do I believe, right? And hence, he has a vision. And the vision helps him get that figured out. So he visits from God, and, and God told him, essentially, that all Protestant religions are wrong. We're all wrong. And, uh, and, and hence the 1823, he then uh, has another visit, this time by an angel called Moroni, 
who then says, there's some golden plates that are translated or that are in the, buried in the mountains out here. And those golden plates have the true word of God on them. And so the problem is that they were written in Egyptian, Chaldaic, Assyric, and Arabic languages, of which he didn't speak any of them. Um, but the good news is that this guy got also some seer stones that he could put into glasses and look into a hat and translate these golden plates. Um, so um, that Book of Mormon then gets published in 1830. So the church is founded with originally six members. It's changed its name to the Church of... Uh, it was founded as the Church of Christ. It was changed to the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints. And that's important because they see that they would say they believe in Jesus. They would say that they are Latter-day Saints because it's been revealed to them. They are the true church of saints. And um, interestingly enough, when I wrote, to, I started one of my witnessing methods with my brother-in-law was I wrote him a letter. Uh, we were going through the book of Romans and I decided, well, since our conversations weren't going so good, maybe a letter would work. So <laughs> I'm writing him back and forth and lots of scripture in, the, in my letters. And he writes back and he said, well, the good news is we both believe in the same Jesus. We just have a different view. And I said, no. I wrote back and I said, we do not believe in the same Jesus. And I said, let me give you this example. There are so many people in this world with the name Jim, but they are not all the same people. And you're trying to tell me that because you claim the name of Jesus, that it's the same Jesus that I believe in. And the answer is no. So I eventually got to the point where I said, I urge you to change your views now or you're going to hell. <laughs> nice, right? Very loving way to approach your brother-in-law. <laughs> so I, I can tell you, I've tried everything and I'm not the right person to be here. Um, in the midst of it, Joseph Smith was arrested for treason, public disruption, polygamy. That's where he was martyred. Uh, as a result, some people broke into the jail, and he was martyred. And, and um, then Brigham Young leads the, the, for lack of a better term, the followers to out east. So there's two basic groups. There's the Utah group, LDS. That's what we're going to talk about. There's roughly 16 million people. There's a Missouri-based reorganized church of Latter-day Saints, and there's some other splinter groups that off of it. They have two major doctrines differences between the Utah and Missouri. Polytheism and polygamy, believe it or not. The, 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 the LDS clearly are polytheistic and the, the, um, and the still hold to the doctrine of polygamy, although they would say no. Numerous influential Mormons you know. Steve Young, retired NFL quarterback. Jack Dempsey was a boxer, didn't know that. I knew he was a boxer. Danny Ainge, Harry Reid, didn't know that. Orrin Hatch, of course, people do. And then there's lots of entertainers. So, four basic beliefs in Mormonism. One, continuing revelation. There's four sources of revelation for the, for the Mormon church. The Book of Mormon, which is, in their words, the Word of God. The Doctrines and Covenants and the Pearl of Great Price, both books that were written by Joseph Smith, and the Holy Bible. But the King James Version 
and so far as it is correctly translated. They do not trust the scriptures, but they, but they do claim this through their prophets, that, that the scriptures are part of their faith, and they, but they hold to the King James Version, which is going to come up later in terms of how we share the gospel. But these aren't the only things that are become their truth. The others are the utterances of the prophets. So they're living prophets. They have a prophet that leads the church. What he says is equal to scripture. And all the other prophets that have been there are equal to scripture, which leads you to, to quickly understand one thing. Why do we say that the Bible is the inerrant word of God and it is our only means and practice for faith and, and life? That's why. The scriptures are only, it, we believe in a closed canon. We'll get to that later. Uh, well, here it is. The LDS have an open canon. They believe that revelation is still happening. Truth is still there. And God continues to reveal the, the word through them. They're prophets. They have a humanized deity. Now, this is going to start to get a little weird for you, but you just have to hang in there why we're doing this. They believe in pre-existed material spirits. In other words, God of this world was once a man who became a God. So Joseph Smith says that God himself was once as we are now and is an exalted man. We have imagined and supposed that God was God from all eternity. I refute that idea. God himself, the father of us all, dwelt on earth the same as Jesus Christ did. So God, the one that we worship in spirit, they view as had a body like we do. And he dwelt here just a long time ago. Um, the God, as God ascended to, in point two, as God ascended to Godhead, so righteous men and women can become gods. We, in their belief, can become gods. Former church president Lorenzo Snow, a man, as man now is, God once was. As God now is man, may be. This came from this reference here specifically. Jesus is the eternal begotten Son of God. However, he is not the supreme God. Because he is a God, just one of many, he isn't the supreme one. And therefore, God is the Father, Jesus is the Son. Well, it doesn't mean they're on the same page, right? Jesus was an eternal spirit who together with his spirit brother Lucifer, yes, they believe that, was made incarnate to be tested and become a god. Why he became, why he came to the, and was born here. So that he might be tested and become a god like the others uh, there. Lucifer? No, he wasn't. Next is the pre-existent humanity. Every human being, this is what they would believe, existed before birth as an as eternal spirit child. Man as a spirit was begotten and born of human parents. Why? Because there's a heavenly mother. And reared to maturity in the eternal mansions of the father prior to becoming, coming to earth in a temporal body. This was teaching of, of Joseph F. Smith in the presence of the church. This is, this is why we say it's not the true church. Atonement and afterlife is another belief. So we've, we've covered three now. The fourth is atonement and afterlife. They believe Jesus is the redeemer who died on the cross. So when I talked with my brother-in-law, he says, of course. So I said, well, what about the thief on the cross? You know, the one who was a, had done no good. And he was 
even said that Jesus said, this day you will be with me in paradise. Well, he really just suffered here on earth. You know, he won't when he gets to and type of stuff. And his, I, it got into this thing and it just goes convoluted in all kinds of ways. Essentially, they, they believe that he did not atone for the sins of man, but to guarantee the rec- resurrection of all, all men. So the normal belief is, is that Jesus died such that we all can be resurrected. Now, after death, people go to the spirit world awaiting resurrection for the final resurrection. The one thing I, I also know is, is that, um, that he, Adam died, or he died actually for the sins of Adam. That's what he would say, they, the Mormon church say that he, he atoned. And we're like, what? How is it that that, that doesn't sync at all with what the scriptures say? But let's keep going. There's three levels of glory in their view based on the acceptance and obedience to Mormon teaching and ordinances. So it's faith plus works. And in that, there is these three levels. The telestial, then this is, listen to this, telestial. They reject the Mormon gospel, but you continue in sin. Therefore, you will serve God, but you cannot come into his presence when you're in his heaven because everyone's going to be resurrected. Number two, the terrestrial kingdom. Those who live good lives but do not accept the Mormon gospel experience in the presence of Jesus but not the fullness of God the Father. In other words, there's another level. You get to see Jesus, but you don't get to see God the Father. Why? Because, remember, they don't see Jesus as God. They see him as the Son of God. And in the celestial kingdom, what they're all working for, only the righteous who live the Mormon teachings, undergone Mormon ordinances, become gods, populate their own planets with their own spouses, can progress if they believe the Mormon gospel in the spirit world and vicariously receive Mormon um, ordinances. So what this is, is that if you have died, uh, you know, and you haven't really reached the celestial kingdom, you might get there vicariously through other people who are doing good works for you on your behalf. And final, the only part is outer darkness is the designation of Satan, his angels, and humans who have committed the unpardonable sin, which is to say that you believe Mormonism and you rejected it. Therefore, your utter darkness is where you will be. Other than that, everybody goes to, to some form of heaven in their thing. So the question then is, how does this stack up to biblical Christianity? Well, well, we would say the Old and New Testament alone are the inspired and infallible revelation of God. 2 Timothy 3:16 or 2 Peter 1, 1 and 2. God gave us a warning about adding or subtracting to his word. I even remember the day when I sat down with these, and I, it was 50 years ago, right? And I said, hey, you can't add and subtract to the word. And I knew almost nothing. Their words were, yeah, that's only for the book of Revelation. That doesn't really apply to the rest of the Bible. What? You know, and of course I knew nothing to say after that. They, the Bible does teach us about many false prophets will propagate destructive heresies in times. In Matthew 7 and chapter 24 and Second Peter 2, 1 John 4, uh, all speak to that. And, and then the Apostle Paul charged believers to be diligent in, in Galatians chapter 1, verse 8, 
to preserve the truth of the gospel against false prophets. So immediately when we get to the question, which is, can we believe the Bible? Is the Bible true? You, we immediately have this, because they have four different points of, of truth, we have one, and we're sitting here wondering, how does this go? The scriptures teach us this. If you look at our uh, Westminster Confession of Faith, it gives tons of scripture references that support this. Second, the God of scripture is true and living, and we know this. Um, it, and God was and is forever, will be eternally unchangeable God. God himself says, I'm not a man. I don't, I don't think like you do. I don't work, work the way you do. You can't understand me that way. God is the spirit and exists in three persons. And here we wonder, what's the tr speak of the Trinity? Because they would not believe in the Trinity. Matthew 28, 19, which is go and make disciples in all nations in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, right? John 4.24 and 2 Corinthians 13.4.14. Jesus is the second person of the Godhead incarnate. In John 1.14 it says, And the Son is equal to the Father and the Spirit of all things. In John 1.1, 1, 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Romans, I mean 10.30 and Romans 9.5. Philippians 2, 6, and the ladies know because they've been in Hebrews, Hebrews 1, 3. It's, Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. So how does this stack up to biblical Christianity? The next point, God has made us in his image, in knowledge, righteousness, and likeness. In Genesis 1, 26, God tells us we were created in his image. Um, man did not exist before creation. We know that God created all things ex nihilo, out of nothing, right? Scripture does not teach that people become gods. You can't find this in the, in, the, in the scriptures. And Jesus died, in point four, Jesus died in the place of his people on the cross in order to atone for their sins. And we, we see it even today in today's sermon, right? But 1 Corinthians 15. Jesus prop, uh, propitiates the wrath of God. And we know what that is. He took our sin upon him. Um, Jesus dies to save his people from eternal wrath. I mean, Matthew 121, the, the spirit that is revealed to Joseph in those days, that that's Jesus, what Jesus came to do. On the last day, all who are called, believe in Christ will be raised to eternal life. And, oops, I spelled John wrong. Um, and then point D, all who do not believe will be raised to everlasting punishment in hell. Yeah, so the answer is it's heaven or hell. It's not everybody goes to heaven. It's not at all a good thing. So the conclusion. The conclusion, Mormonism is a cult and it's a counterfeit religion. It's based on a different Jesus and I've shared with that. It's works-based and they work incessantly. And when we get to the, the video, it will point that out. It adds and subtracts to the scriptures. It follows a man rather than God. It is not following Jesus. It is not following God. It is not following the scriptures. Even though they work and they look very industrious, they look for good families. And when you find out, most of the people who join the Mormon church come out of nominal Christianity. They are looking for the good family, right? 
They don't know all these other things, and who would? Here's a great quote. As long as the Christian and the cultists are looking at different authorities, there is no common ground between where they can begin. That, that, is, that is a problem, which is why we want to stay to the scriptures. But the question then is, how do we share the gospel with those who hold to false teaching? And I, I'm not going to go over these. I'm just going to do them quickly just so you see them in case somebody should want them. So some comparisons of the views of scripture. And I'll just do the very first one. We, the, the Christian would say it's divine. Mormon scriptures are human. The nature, it's infallible. There's, it's, not, it's infallible. And there's plenty of places where they've changed the word so that it doesn't fit the narrative, right, to fit their thing. Confirmation, it's supernatural. Theirs is not supernatural. It's the use of the cult. It's forbidden. They used it, peeping into the half. Changes, it's not substantial. Severe substantial changes uh, in the Book of Mormon. Reliability, highly reliable. Theirs is unreliable. Prophecies, can't spell that either. Never fail. Off, can't spell often either. Completeness. Closed canon, open canon. And then I will say, I have here, I'll just briefly say, of comparisons of the view of God, comparisons with the views of Jesus, and comparisons of the views of salvation, and um, with some scriptural stuff there. So with that, I'd like to just go jump right now to the video, if you could. And um, this is Dr. Lynn Wilder being interviewed about how to witness to Mormons. And I'm only going to show you roughly 15 minutes of it, but it is so important for you to listen uh, with ears as she talks about how we can relate to them. Because it fits with what we've heard before. Hopefully this works. Starting at the 10-minute mark, man. speak on how to share the gospel with Mormons. So, Lynn, welcome, and we would love to hear from you this evening. Wow, Allie. Um, That's it, right there. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't recognize that person, but thank you anyway. (laughs) Oh, my goodness, girl. Okay, let's begin here. Ah, okay. Well, first of all, I love that you use the word context, right? You can't really share the gospel with somebody if you don't know them, if you don't know who they are, what their culture is, what kind of things they believe. And as much as we think we know Mormons, because they say they're Christians too, they're very, very, they're a very closed culture. And um, they're very unique, and it's helpful to know some things about them. First of all, you want to love them. So Mormon missionaries come to your door, and Christians have a tendency to close the door and say, I don't want what you're selling. Or, you know, my son said they had bottles thrown at their head. Somebody tried to run them over with their car. Um, Of course, people slam the door on them, and... Sometimes Christians will say to them, you're in a cult, you're going to hell, now get off my doorstep and don't come back, 
right? And yet God sent someone who you see as a non-believer right to your door who wants to talk about God, and you send them away. Do we not love them enough to share the gospel of grace with them? I have to tell you that I was a convert to Mormonism at age 24, and I grew up Christian. And I had Christian family and Christian neighbors in Indiana, and I worked with Christian people. And I don't recall one time in the 30 years that I was Mormon that one Christian ever even started a conversation with me about faith. And literally, when I got radically changed, I went through this anger stage, like, why didn't anybody tell me? And so it really is important to get to know and to love these people. So let's talk a little bit about the Mormon culture. They have to have church leaders, and they are revered. Literally, we stood up when the Mormon prophet entered the room. It's almost rock star kind of thing. You want to touch them. You want to be near them. They tend toward political conservatism, although that's not true necessarily for millennial Mormons and below. Um, proselytizing is so important right now. There are 51,000 Mormon missionaries out there sharing the Mormon gospel. Outward appearance is very important to Mormons. They tend to dress nicely. The women tend to wear makeup, and uh, their behavior is going to be very kind. They might lean in when you talk, and their behavior, um, they consider nice behavior to be Christian. So they'll tell, they'll, they'll determine whether you're Christian by how nice you are. And sometimes Christians aren't always very nice. So that's something you need to be careful of when you're dealing with Mormons. They dress modestly. Why? Because temple Mormons wear garments underneath their clothes. And that means that their shorts or anything they wear has to be to their knee or below. And for women, it has to be capped sleeve. They can't wear sleeveless. So they're very offended often if Christians have a bare midriff or they're wearing something that seems immodest to a Mormon that's offensive. So stay away from things that you know are offensive to Mormons. Achievement is very important to them. It's a works-based religion. We call it performance-based religion. So they're going to be hardworking, industrious people, probably up early, with lots of children doing lots of work and probably exhausted. Um, this number six family is everything to Mormons. When you think of Mormonism, you think of families, large families, close families. This one thing draws more people to Mormonism than anything else. They preach a perfect family. They preach a family together in this life, together in the next life. A family forever. If you get married in a Mormon temple, um, sealed, they call it, you can be sealed for this life and for the next life. And their families are wonderful examples. And so many people with broken families in their past get drawn to Mormonism. Let me give you a quick example. I had a phone call two weeks ago from a woman in the military, young woman, um, married with a young child, and she was in an abusive marriage. 
Well, somebody Mormon in the military uh, opened their home to her and allowed her to live with them so that she could then leave this man. That's typical behavior and many people get drawn in. She grew up Christian. She knew in her head the doctrine isn't right, but the people were so good to her. And so you're going to find wonderful people and you need to be wonderful people if they're going to be drawn to your faith. Um, they have LDS scripture, three books in addition to the Bible that trump the Bible, and they have a living Mormon prophet whose words trump the Bible. Most converts come from traditional Christianity, I would say nominal Christianity, people that don't know the Bible, but they've heard of Jesus and they want a perfect family. Mormons dislike and avoid contention. You are not going to be able to get up in their face and argue with them. That is not going to work. That will be the end of your conversation with them. They have an allegiance to the Mormon church that they consider to be the only one true church on the face of the, the earth. They believe their Mormon prophet speaks for God for all of the earth and that he has 12 apostles. They have the priesthood and they have authority. Mormons also have sacred things to them that are kept from the public, such as covenants that they make in the temple. So avoid these things, and then we'll talk about what to do instead. Avoid these things in conversation with Mormons. Avoid contention. The Book of Mormon says contention is of the devil. So if you get any into any kind of back and forth with them, or you're at all aggressive, they're going to just go, devil, I'm done, right? And if they default immediately to their Mormon testimony. I know the church is true. I know Joseph Smith is a prophet. I know you know you've shut the door on trying to witness to them. You're going to have to be much more kind and humble and gentle. And I will tell you how to do that. That is comfortable with them. You're going to avoid behavior that LDS consider disrespectful or unkind, like I said, the duress. And we are different from other ministries to Mormons in that we tell you to avoid to talk about things like polygamy. So Mormon scripture says polygamy is an eternal principle, but you don't want to go there. That's offensive to them. There are 26, 27 scriptures that say dark skin is a curse in the Book of Mormon and the Pearl of Great Price. You don't want to talk about that with them. That's going to be a, offensive and shut the door to any good conversation. DNA evidence. So the Book of Mormon says that the Book of Mormon people came from Jerusalem and sailed to the Americas, Mesoamerica, about 600 B.C., well, there's no DNA evidence that there are Jewish folks, you know. So Joseph Smith's character, he often took other men's wives. You know, polygamy was a big mess. He did some counterfeiting of money. He had a bank. Um, 
Brigham Young then, the next prophet of the Mormon church, had 54 wives. These kind of things to talk about with Mormons will not make any progress. They will see you as an anti, and um, what you want to do is offer a God of grace, something that they want to come to, not something they want to run away from. I honestly... I'm not as concerned about getting people out of the Mormon church as I am about getting them saved, right? Getting them born again and the Holy Spirit will totally, totally work with them. You're going to avoid scripture other than the Bible. So if the Mormon missionaries come to your door, they're going to keep trying to get you into the Book of Mormon. This is what I say to them. But wait, I believe the Bible. You believe the Bible. It's the one thing we have in common. So we'll just stick to the Bible, right? I don't. I can't trust the Book of Mormon. I don't know the Book of Mormon. So um, the Bible has some wonderful things in there. Allie said she likes to say pray. So I say pray scripture, right? Pray that God will show you within your sphere of influence or some Mormon that you already know, who, who God's already working on softening their heart. I prayed this prayer one Monday night when I was a new Christian because I was in a Bible study and they made us pray this. Oh God, show me who you're already working with within my sphere of influence. I went to work the next day as a professor, right? I go down this hall and this colleague of mine goes, Hey, you, come here. I dreamed about you last night. Okay, this is the day after my prayer, right? I'm thinking, oh, I'm sure this has nothing to do with anything. She tells me this dream, and then she tells me she's seeking a personal relationship with Jesus, and she thinks God's sending her to me. Here's the freaky thing. I'd worked with that woman four years, and I had no idea she was a Mormon. She was an inactive Mormon seeking a relationship with Jesus. God supernaturally connected her to me. And I was probably the only woman within her sphere of influence that could help her sort the doctrinal yuck. What an awesome God we serve. But I prayed that prayer, right? And he delivered. Pray that God will break the spirit of blindness over believers. Unstop their ears. Open their eyes. Take them from death to life. Remove the veil over their heart, their mind, their understanding, the Bible says. Just literally take scripture and pray it over them. And of course, with Mormons, you're going to have to pray for an attitude of love and compassion passion that you're not going to get frustrated and that you're not going to get contentious and that they won't sense any contention and then pray that they will come to trust the bible as the infallible word of god mormons believe the book of mormon the doctrine and covenants the pearl of great price all three of their unique scriptures came directly from jesus himself but the bible is corrupt and has been mistranslated in many places, but they don't know where and when. So as a Mormon, I never trusted it. That's going to be a huge thing you're going to need to deal with in loving Mormons. 
Okay, our scriptures say that God is always at his work, 24-7. What's his work? His work is drawing people to Jesus. Jesus says, no one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, right? There, his work, 24-7, is drawing people to Jesus. He is drawing Mormons to Jesus right now. It was at one time, the fastest growing religion, that is not true just within recent years. You would be amazed at the people flooding out of Mormonism. We honestly don't know how many, but our estimates are as many as maybe 300,000 a year, maybe as many as they baptize now they're losing. Um, that is a mission field, not just for us, but for you. Many Mormons questioning their faith. Why? Because they can get on the internet and learn all kinds of things about Mormonism that they have not learned through their faith. And, oh, COVID was wonderful. Not having to go to the Mormon church, a lot of those people started watching pastors, and I got lots of calls. So how do you open a conversation with a Mormon? Like you do anybody else. Um, Tell me about your faith. I'm curious. That's just a teaser. This is a wonderful training video about how to share your faith with Mormons. And she goes on and talks about things. And the things you already heard were so true to my experiences of what not to do. <laughs> And, um, you know, so I did it. I just would say, we know that we serve an awesome God, and he is capable of breaking down every fortress, every enemy of the gospel. He is capable of doing it. Let me just read to you what she read, and we'll end with prayer. And it is so, this is a, another one. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Praise God that he's done that for us. Let's pray that he does it for those people that he puts in our path that need to know Jesus. Let me pray. Lord, you are um, such an awesome God. You are the one who reveals all truth, and we do pray that you would um, shine your light into darkness, that you would remove our scales from our eyes and unstop our ears as we, uh, of, the, of the people who are caught up in this cult, and those people that you put in our way, Lord, would you give us a winsome spirit? Would you give us, uh, uh, bring back to memory our need to pray and trust you, to point them to grace, to your unfailing grace, that redeems us from our lost estate. Thank you, Jesus. We ask these things in your name. Amen.